0: So listen, kids, can you just stay and listen while we, while we read? And then after the reading, I'll send you to Children's Church. So hang on and just listen to the word of God. So we're going through the book of Revelation. We've been going for a couple of months. Today, we're going to cover, uh, cover some turf. Uh, we're going to finish chapter 15, starting with verse 5, all the way through chapter 16. It's the vision of the seven bowls of God's wrath that are poured out and um, <clears throat> poured out and God's, uh, God's wrath is, is revealed. It's a vision of things in the end that helps us in our day to understand what we are going through. So may it be of encouragement to you. Revelation 15, starting with verse five through the end of 16. After this I looked, and in heaven the temple, that is the tabernacle of the testimony, was opened. Out of the temple came the seven angels with the seven plagues. They were dressed in clean, shining linen and wore golden sashes around their chests. Then one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls filled with the wrath of God, who lives forever and ever. And the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power, and no one could enter the temple until the seven plagues of the seven angels were completed. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, go, pour out the seven bowls of God's wrath on the earth. The first angel went and poured out his bowl on the land, and ugly and painful sores broke out on the people who had the mark of the beast and worshipped his image. The second angel poured out his bowl on the sea and it turned into blood like that of a dead man and everything living in the sea died. The third angel poured out his bowl on the rivers and springs of water and they became blood. And I heard the angel in charge of the waters say, you are just in these judgments, you who are and who were the Holy One because you have so judged for they have shed the blood of your saints and prophets and you have given them blood to drink as they deserve. And I heard the altar respond, Yes, Lord God Almighty, true and just are your judgments. The fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and the sun was given power to scorch people with fire. They were seared by the intense heat, and they cursed the name of God, who had control over these plagues, but they refused to repent and glorify him. The fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, And his kingdom was plunged into darkness. Men gnawed their tongues in agony and cursed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores. But they refused to repent of what they had done. The sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and its water was dried up to prepare the way for the kings from the east. Then I saw three evil spirits that looked like frogs. They came out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. They are spirits of demons performing miraculous signs, and they go out to the kings of the whole world to gather them for the battle on the great day of God Almighty. Behold, I come like a thief. Blessed is he who stays awake and keeps his clothes with him so that he may not not go naked and be shamefully exposed. Then they gathered the kings together to the place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. The seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air, and out of the temple came a loud voice from the throne saying, It is done. Then there came flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, and a severe earthquake. No earthquake like it has ever occurred since man has been on earth. So tremendous was the quake. The great city split into three parts, and the cities of the nations collapsed. God remembered Babylon the great and gave her the cup, filled with the the wine of the fury of his wrath. Every island fled away, and the mountains could not be found. From the sky, huge hailstones of about a hundred pounds each fell on men, and they cursed God on account of the plague of hail, because the plague was so terrible. Father, open our hearts and our minds by this vision of last things of your wrath, give us hearts to understand, to glorify you, and to receive these words into our lives today. So Father, may your word have an effect in making us holy, in keeping us pure and dedicated to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. And kids, you're welcome to Children's Church, which you'll find through this door on the right side of the sanctuary at the front. Are the kids already gone or what? They snuck out. Oh, here comes one. Yeah, okay. Um, Revelation uh, 15, starting with verse five. I'll turn on the TV, kick back. What's in the fridge? Ah, we've got those those new chips. That's the kind I like. The uh, the kind with not too much of the powder on them. You know, I like the the kind that's just got the right amount i I'm, I'm, I'm going to need some new pants here and some new shoes, so uh I wonder how my investments are doing. I should look that up hey, it's good to see they finally put a cap on that that oil gusher in the in the uh, Gulf of Mexico. Boy, can you imagine working for b p The heads must be rolling uh, they've been talking about uh, funding cuts at work they've been talking about. Uh, cutting corners. I wonder what's at the bottom of that. I wonder what that's leading to. You know, if everything goes well, I'll be able to buy that uh, Mustang convertible next year. I should get to the doctor and have this uh, skin problem looked at. I hope it's not anything serious. Um, I can't wait for this vacation that's coming up. That's going to be a blast. It'll be good just to unwind. Jesus talked about so many things in our lives that grow up. The concerns of this life, the cares of this world, and the deceitfulness of wealth, and that these things grow up and choke out the pure word which he has planted in our lives. And I think there there are just so many things that distract us, so many things that we can get occupied with, so many things that uh, consume our attention and draw us away from from God, draw us away from serving him and living for him. And I think this vision here of the seven bowls of God's wrath being poured out at the end is intended to get our attention and to wake us up and cause us to fear God. That's, uh, that's what the angels cry out in heaven, what the, the multitude in heaven cries out. Who will not fear you, O Lord? In chapter 15, verse 4. And bring glory to your name. For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship before you. For your righteous acts have been revealed. God is waking us up today with this vision of the seven bulls. And so, what I want to challenge you with, what I want to bring to you from God's word here is the the challenge to stand in awe of God because of his wrath to fear the Lord, to open your heart to him, to let his majesty and greatness fill your mind and your heart and your, and your life. And uh, what, I, what I want to do, it's a, it's a lot of material that we're going to go through. What I want to do is look at it from three different perspectives. And there's a perspective from heaven, and then there's a perspective from earth, and then there's a perspective from Jesus. Jesus. And the perspective from heaven is this introduction from verse 5 uh, through, uh, of chapter 15 through the end of chapter 15 where it talks about how the seven bowls are sent from the temple in heaven. And then the angels reply with a, uh, a response. As they see how the wrath has an effect on earth, they reply. And so we want to look at the perspective that they offer. And then Jesus interrupts. The vision in verse 15 and offers a perspective that we need to hear. So first of all then, the perspective from heaven on the wrath of God. And may God open our hearts to stand in awe of him because his wrath is holy. God's wrath is holy. And so what I see here, uh, chapter 15, starting verse 5 to the end of the chapter, is I see a a consecration ceremony, a ceremony taking place in heaven, in the temple in heaven. And uh, so I want us to see how holy God's wrath is, what an expression of his own nature and his own being uh, this wrath is. And so first of all, we see the holy source of, of this wrath. This wrath comes from the holy God himself. And you see that because it comes from the tabernacle. After this I looked and in heaven the tabernacle of the testimony was opened. The temple was opened. And out of the temple came the seven angels with the seven plagues. And then you look at how holy these angels are dressed. The way that they're dressed. It's something special and unique to draw attention to themselves. You know when... Jesus appears in the book of Revelation in chapter 1. He's clothed with a golden sash. And so in the same way these seven angels who come out of the temple to bring these seven last plagues, they're wearing golden sashes like the Lord. And uh, perhaps they're, they're like priests performing some priestly duty because uh, one of the four living creatures, one of those uh, angelic beings who's right at the center Right around God's throne, those who are the very close ones to God, comes and gives to the angels the seven bowls filled with the wrath of God. Seven golden bowls filled with the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. Golden bowls are used in the Old Testament temple, in the Old Testament tabernacle in... um, in, in these sorts of services and ceremonies of, of consecration, of making something holy. And so in Exodus 40, Moses gathers all the materials that all the people have donated to build the tabernacle, the tent where God is going to dwell. And finally, all of these things are put together, and then the the tabernacle is consecrated. And there are special offerings made and bowls are poured out on the altar. Bowls of blood uh, expressing the wrath of God against sin in order to make the altar holy and set apart for God. Not a thing that tolerates sin. Something that respects the glory and holiness of God. And so golden bowls used to, uh, to consecrate. And um, we're in verse 8. The, the, the temple then was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power. That day when Moses uh, uh, erected the tabernacle in the wilderness, the glory of God, it says in Exodus chapter 40, filled the temple, the cloud and the pillar that had accompanied them on their journey, came and filled the temple so that Moses could not go in. And so uh, in the same way that we see here, when Uh, When the the seven bowls go out from the temple, no one can enter the temple because of the smoke and because of God's presence and uh, the power of God that is filling the temple, the glory of God that is there. God's holiness is being expressed and no one can come near. It's a consecration ceremony. But what is the purpose of the consecration ceremony? It has a holy purpose. The purpose is to consecrate the earth. And so the seven bowls go out from God's presence and are poured out upon the whole earth. The first is poured out on the land, the second on the sea, the third on the rivers, the fourth on the sun, the fifth on the throne, that great kingdom, the the king, the antichrist, who is the king of the kings of the world. And the sixth poured out on that great natural boundary that protected Rome from the, the hordes of, of barbarians beyond. The river Euphrates is dried up. And this allows the, the Antichrist to achieve his ambition of uniting all the world kingdoms together for battle against God. And so they come, and then the last is poured out, the, the, the last bowl, the seventh, is poured out on the air, on everything, everywhere where there's air. God's wrath is poured out. And then there's the storm and the earthquake and, and all the, uh, uh, the, the dramatic events which in the Old Testament were always, were always present wherever God was present, wherever God's presence appeared. Then you had the darkness and the storm and the earthquake and the rumbling and the, the hail because God is coming to earth. And, uh, of course, we, you know, we come to that in chapter 19. That's when we really see the Lord Jesus coming. We've got some interludes to go through before we get there. But, uh, you know, Revelation kind of uh, draws things out for us. Uh, but, but that's what's happening. God is coming. God is sanctifying the earth. He is claiming the earth. He is laying claim to his creation. God has been in exile. Adam and Eve sinned. And God did not bring on them the punishment that their sin deserved. But rather, he left them alone. He stepped aside so that they would not be destroyed. They couldn't be in his presence because they would be destroyed because he is holy. And he cannot have sin in his presence. And so Adam and Eve are are driven away. And the world has been going on on its own course, and God has been in exile. But he has come for visits now and then. He came and visited at Sodom and Gomorrah, and uh, the wrath of God fell. He came and visited sometimes bringing good news of the Savior. He came and there was a tent built for him, as we just heard described. He came down on the mountain and gave his law to the people and there was thunder and lightning and the terrible storm and the people were trembling with fear. God has come now and then. He has especially come in the Lord Jesus Christ and he dwelt among us and we saw his glory. And he has come and dwelt in his people, in the church. Jesus says, you will no longer see me. The world will no longer see me, but you will see me and I will be with you. So during this age... Christ is with his people. But God is in exile. We're just getting little bits and pieces of God's presence. But in this last time, God comes. And it's terrifying because God is holy. Um, God has rights. We're comfortable with the fact that we have rights, that we can claim things, for ourselves, we're we're sort of comfortable when people demand their rights. It, it, there's a place for it, anyway. But here's God demanding His rights, and it's a little tough for us to accept. But it's a good thing when someone claims their rights, especially when it's a very important right and a very important person. I saw a movie. Um, I, I don't. I don't. I, I kind of recommend it. I, I kind of loved it, but it was kind of. Lousy too, but uh, yeah, yeah. if you see it and you don't like it, don't blame me. <laughs> taken, taken, you know. So it's about uh, you know there's this guy, his daughter is kidnapped uh, by by uh, you know human traffickers, and uh, so she's she's going to be made into a sex slave, and uh, so you know it's a typical guy from an action movie. You know he's he's real inept at relationships. And, you know, his wife doesn't like him, and he always messes things up with his daughter. And, you know, he can never quite get anything right. But he's really good with guns and weapons and hand-to-hand combat. And he has this really cool job where he gets to go and do all those things. And he's just a master at espionage and, you know, sneaking around and doing everything, you know, sort of behind the scenes. And so he's got it, he's got it all figured out. And uh, so he finds out his daughter's been kidnapped, and he's on the case. One man. And, uh, you know, he's going to do it. And so it doesn't matter who gets in his way. You know, one, you know, he finds the guy who first grabbed her, and, you know, he ends up finally, you know, the guy's just totally toast by the time he's done with him. Uh, but it wasn't his fault, really. Uh, he, go, he gets into this house where the real bad guys are, a whole house full of, of uh, armed, uh, you know, thugs, and uh, they all end up dead, and he walks out without a scratch. Um <laughs> That he gets his information and he's on to the next step and the next step as so he goes through this whole thing. And finally, the end of the movie by Hooker by Crook, he's on the ship, the boat where she, you know the yacht where she's being taken away to another country where she's going to be you know someone's sex slave, and uh, he gets on the boat and then naturally he has to kill everybody on the boat, uh, and they all have guns, but he gets he gets them all. And then last of all, he kills you know the the man himself who who uh, had bought her, and. Uh, and she says, Dad, you came for me. You came for me. And she can't believe it. And uh, he says, Yeah, of course I came for you. You know, what else am I going to do? And so she's just holding on to him. So that's the great part of the movie. You know, that, that uh, the father loves his daughter and he has a right to his daughter. And so we kind of forgive him of all the murders and all the terrible things he's done, at least for the sake of the, the story. And, uh, you know, we kind of don't want to really think about how all that gets cleaned up, but, but it is somehow justified. He has a right to his daughter. It's something inviolable that should never be interfered with. And God has a right to his creation. And he comes for it. He's coming for it. He's not going to leave it, but he's going to come for his creation. He comes for his people. And, uh, but here, um, he's coming for his creation He made it and it's his. And those who are in it, those who are uh, running it and ruling it and leading it are wicked and their backs are turned against him. So God's wrath is poured out upon them. So what does it mean that God is holy? It just means that God is God, that there's no one like him, that he alone is Lord. Holy is like, it's like the word special. It just, Kind of, mm, what does it mean? It's hard to pin it down and say what it means. But when you look at all the the holiness rules in the Old Testament, what it's all about is separating God from everything else, and recognizing that God alone is God, and uh, everything that comes into contact has to be specially set apart in order to to belong to God. And that there has to be a distinction between God and everything else because he alone is the creator and everything else is stuff. And so God is holy. He alone is holy. And what does he say to us? Be holy as I am holy. Be set apart for me. You've come into contact with me, Christian. You belong to me. Be completely set apart for me. Don't get absorbed in a million other things. You're mine. And uh, this is God's holiness. So we see this big vision of God's holy wrath poured out, claiming the whole world, and it's dreadful and frightening to see. But God has come near to you in grace, laying claim to your heart and soul. You belong to him. He's coming mercifully and lovingly and you're his so yield your heart yield your life completely to him you belong to God God dwells in you and the world belongs to God everything we do in the world use it for him use it for his glory as Paul says perspective from heaven God's wrath is holy a perspective from earth we look in chapter 16 and uh See here, verses uh, 5 through 7, the angels are replying to what they see as God's wrath is poured out. And so they give a commentary, verses 5 and 6, and they say, You are just in these judgments, you who are and who were the Holy One, because you have so judged. For they have shed the blood of your saints and prophets and you have given them blood to drink as they deserve. So the, the punishment fits the crime. God is just. God's wrath is holy wrath. It expresses himself. He lays claim to his rights, but God's wrath is just. He is faithful and true and right when he comes to express his wrath. God's wrath sets things right. <clears throat> and so uh, again in verse 7, <clears throat> the altar responds. And I heard the altar respond. And uh, so these are the words of the martyrs, those who have been martyred for Christ. If you remember back in chapter 6, when we, when we went through that first set of seven judgments, there were the seven seals, and then there were the seven trumpets, and now we're at the last, which is the seven bowls. But back in that first set, the seven seals on the scroll of destiny in God's hand, which the Son of God, the Lamb, begins to open one at a time. And with each each seal being opened, there's another judgment that comes in the world. With the fifth seal, voices cry out from under the altar, How long, O Lord, until you take vengeance for us? for our blood that was shed. These are the martyrs of Jesus under the altar crying out and they're told, wait. And they're given a robe and they're told, wait. And so now the day is here and we're not waiting any longer. And so a voice is heard from the altar crying out, yes, Lord God Almighty, true and just are your judgments. An evil needs to be set right. An evil needs to be fixed. If I do something wrong, it's costly to forgive it. It's costly for someone to forgive me. And uh, it's costly for me to fix it. Something has to be done when evil is, is, uh, uh, is committed. And when evil is left and when evil piles up, and when the wrongs are not answered and they're not set right, then it's a drastic situation to fix it. If God just leaves it forever, then evil wins. But God comes to fix it. And it's a, it's a desperate situation. Look how desperate it is. Let's look at some of these judgments, just going through the, the seven bowls. But what I want to point out is that the crime fits the punishment. The punishment fits the crime. And uh, that there is a correlation between uh, what God does in wrath and what people have done against him. And so in verses 1 and 2, the, the bowl is poured out upon the land and the painful sores break out upon people. They took the mark of the beast on themselves and now God gives them the mark of God, a painful and terrible sore. Uh, we saw that they were guilty of bloodshed, they're given blood to drink. And then the sun becomes uh, a scorching uh, uh, terror for them. Uh, perhaps it's a heat wave. Perhaps it's some, something happens to the atmosphere and there's sunburn, you know, wh- whatever it could be. But the sun has become uh, unbearable. And so here are the people who curse heaven, and now heaven has become a curse for them. Uh, these are people who love darkness. And so in the, in the fifth bowl, as, as it is poured out on the throne of the beast... His kingdom is cast into darkness, plunged into darkness and agony. Oh, they longed for worldwide unity and and a rule that would extend to the ends of the earth, that they could take God's entire creation for themselves and God gives it to them and then uh, it becomes the occasion for them to enter a big war against God where they're judged and defeated. The the hail comes upon the heads of those who shake their fists at God and uh, they refuse to repent. They refuse to undo what they've done and God sends the earthquake that undoes all their cities. God answers all of our sins with judgment. How terrible, how frightening for us because we're sinful. But it's God's right and it's just. The thing to remember is, as we consider God's wrath is that God, in pouring out wrath, is still God. So he is not like the, the pagan gods who would just have a fit of rage and get all upset and maybe they're being selfish or unreasonable or irrational or kind of crazy. Uh, but God is, is righteous and faithful and wise and pure in all that he does. So God is very patient and His wrath has been stored up. He has not, he has not brought it upon people even though they've provoked Him. But he has, he has waited and He has left it. And so the seven golden bowls are full. They've been filled up and God's wrath has been stored up for the day. God is majestic in how He... Uh, shows his wrath. And so the seven angels are, are beautifully garbed as they carry golden bowls and bring them for the ceremony of the cleansing of the earth, the pouring out of God's wrath. God has enough power to set things right. And the world is not out of control for him. He is just patient and waiting. But the day will come. So God's wrath is not crazy, wild, ugly, or regrettable, but it's holy, righteous, and good. And he doesn't pour it out on anyone who doesn't completely deserve what they receive. He is faithful and good. It's very important for us to realize that in judging, God is good and faithful and never stops being good. And faithful. Well, we need to trust God for His justice, instead of uh, fearing and getting getting uh, upset. Instead of trying to take revenge, we need to trust God that He will take care of things, that He will make it right, that God knows how to pay back. I don't know if you read a couple Sundays ago in the, the Vine, our little prayer bulletin, there was a, a little notice, a prayer request about uh, persecuted Christians. And this one was about John Gill. He's a Pakistani, uh, a poor fellow. He works at a factory, just a low-wage job. John Gill borrowed money from his employer to send his daughter to college. Uh, and uh, the employers charging him four hundred percent interest on the loan and uh, so uh, he he paid back I guess he paid back the principal but you know interest is still due the three hundred percent four hundred percent interest was still due uh, so five armed men showed up at his house and took him to the hospital where he had a kidney removed and sold uh, it's dreadful you know the the thing is that As a believer, when something terrible happens to you, I know what you're like. I've talked to so many people just like you. And it isn't in your heart to avenge. But you feel pity. Even when something terrible has been done to you, you feel pity because you know the wrath of God is coming, that God will set things right and it will not be good for the person who stands in that kind of position on the day when God sets things right with him. So, you know, people have experienced all kinds of terrible things in their families with with loved ones, with, with their friends, their children who turn their backs on them, spouses who make life miserable. But we just love to forgive. We love to forgive. We're a people who forgive. You know, uh, people, I don't know if you've heard this kind of argument. Um, It's kind of been going around lately, I guess ever since 9-11, that uh, fundamentalism, religious faith, a serious religious belief uh, leads to violence, that Christianity leads to violence, that taking the Bible seriously is something that leads uh, you know, society to fall apart and people to be at each other's throats, people thinking, I'm right, I'm right, everybody else is wrong, I'm going to push my way on you, and uh, intolerance, unwillingness to put up with people who have different views, that Christianity breeds violence like that. And uh, I don't know if you've heard that. When I hear that, I, I'm just puzzled because I've heard the opposite accusation made. I used to uh, wash windows before I I got the pastor gig. Uh, When I was out in Illinois, um, one of my customers was uh, an uh, an optometrist at a um, uh, Pearl Vision Center. And I would go there and do the windows and it would always seem whenever he would see me, you know, he would, he knew I was a seminary student and, you know, he knew, you know, what, what, you know, what, I, where I stood and everything. And he would rasp me and give me a hard time and he would bug me and, and, you know, try to pose these real, real tough questions for me. And he'd say, so you Christians, you always forgive, huh? It's all just forgive, 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 forgive. And so if someone steals your money, you're just going to forgive. Boy, I've seen some things that should not just be forgiven. And he would just go on at me like this about how, you know, that religion is, is just all, you know, this has been the main criticism of Christianity down through the ages, is that it turns people into milk toast, that Christians have no backbone, that Christians don't stand up, that when they ought to be violent, they aren't, but they want to forgive all the time. Well, you know, how do you answer these accusations? Um, we, we, have, we have a God who has backbone. And we forgive because he is very, very near. And we fear him. And so this, this, that's what this vision is, is, t- is telling us today, is that we need to stand in awe of God because of his wrath. Listen to how Paul puts it. Would you turn, keep a finger there in Revelation 15, and turn back to Romans Chapter 12, and I want you to see how Paul puts this point. Romans 12, page 1123. And Paul pulls together the idea of God's coming wrath and how people do wrong to us and how we feel a natural desire to take revenge, but that that's not, that's not what's at the heart of our faith. So here's what Paul says, Romans chapter 12, it's page 1123, starting with verse 18. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That's the Christian way. So we've seen a perspective from heaven. God's wrath is holy. We've seen a perspective from the angels witnessing the results of God's wrath on earth. God's wrath is just. And now Jesus is interrupts the vision in verse 15 and challenges us directly. And what he says is, God's wrath is avoidable. Don't wait until it falls upon you. Don't blunder about so that it, so that it catches you. God's wrath is avoidable. So, verse 15, Jesus says, Behold, I come like a thief. Blessed is he who stays awake and keeps his clothes with him, so that he may not go naked and be shamefully exposed. Jesus is the one who says, "I come like a thief." Revelation three three. He's clearly identified saying that. He's the only one in the whole Bible who ever compares himself with a thief. Uh, he says in in uh, the book of Matthew chapter twenty four. He talks about how if. If the owner of the house had known at what time the thief was coming, he wouldn't have let his house be broken into. But, you know, the Son of Man will come at an hour that no one expects. And that's being like a thief. It's not that he comes uh, stealing what's not his. It's that he's, he comes unexpected when people are asleep. And so he warns us, don't fall asleep. So he's speaking to us about staying awake. Keep your mind and heart fixed on Christ and his salvation. Don't get absorbed in a worldly perspective. Look at your schedule. What's taking up your time? What's taking up your thoughts, your mental energy? Uh, What are you absorbed with? You know, the time is coming soon. You know, some of us are old, some of us are young. The time is coming soon. We're going to write that gravestone for you. What's going to be on yours? You know, uh, had a nice car. Uh, You know, ate a lot of good food. Uh, what, What are we going to write on your tombstone? You know, loved Jesus and it showed. You know, faithful service to the Lord. What's going to be written on yours? You know, you've got you've to gotta start earning it now. And what do you want there? What's your life for? What counts in life? And uh, we can waste our time with so many things. And those thorns, they grow up. And uh, it's just good that the Lord keeps waking us up and saying, Hey, you're falling asleep. You're drifting off into the la-la land of all the stuff. And I am God and I'm coming for you and you belong to me Now live like it. You've got my name in you, so you live like you belong to me. And that's what, that's what he's calling us. That's the, the cry of the Lord Jesus here is to wake up and be ready for him to come. And he says, keep your, your garments, keep your clothes with you so you'll not be exposed. Garments in the Book of Revelation are good deeds. They're the righteous acts of the saints. Keep yourself busy for the Lord. I'm not saying this so that you know, because I, 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 you know, work at the church and I want everybody to you know help the church and you know do lots of work here so that you know I become famous or something like this. We had a ministry, uh, ministry highlights thing down in the. Fellowship Hall last Sunday. We had about six or seven, you know, people telling about things that they're doing, kind of ministries that they're called to. I think there might have been one or two that were, you know, ministries in our church and of our church. The rest were things that people were doing, ways that God was calling them. But the thing they all had in common was that they were reaching out in Jesus' name to people in Haiti, you know, all around the South Shore, uh, off in uh, in Asia. You know, over here in our church, reaching people with the good news of Christ. That's what you've been entrusted with. That's what you've been called to. So let's be busy with our calling. Would you turn with me to uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5? And uh, this is the last passage we're going to look at. 1 Thessalonians 5, Paul's letter page 1171 in the Pew Bible. And Paul summarizes these thoughts and these attitudes so well in his letter. The attitude that Christians should have about the coming wrath of God and our perspective that we should have on this life. And, and he, uh, he urges us to be ready, to stay awake, to be Uh, focused on God and Christ and not drawn away with the empty things of this life. 1 Thessalonians 5, 1-9 Now, brothers, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman and they will not escape. But you brothers are not in darkness so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all sons of the light and sons of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be alert and self-controlled. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled, putting on faith and love as a breastplate. And the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath. But to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep. We may live together with him. Therefore encourage one another and build each other up. Just as in fact you are doing. Faith, hope and love. Fill your heart with these things. Wear that armor. And stay busy in the battle. Stay out of the the sleep zone. And stay walking in the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your faithful goodness that you do not forget even when you show wrath. Thank you that you remember your righteousness. That even in wrath, you remember mercy. That you are a holy God, that we need to stand in awe of you and in dread of your name. And Father, the privilege that's been laid upon us is so great that we should be called children of God. And may we take it very seriously and take it to heart and live for you as you've drawn close to us and laid claim on our lives. Holy God. Amen.